Season 4 of Litcentric Radio is sponsored by Book Taco, an online program for managing independent reading in grades K through 8. Book Taco offers teachers so many ways to check on their students' progress anytime during the school year. I'll share with you some different reports you can generate later on in the episode. Welcome back to Litcentric Radio, the podcast that's a literacy coach in your pocket. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Webb. So how are you feeling today? Did you have a good week? Maybe a good weekend. As I'm recording this, it's Mother's Day weekend, so happy Mother's Day to all the moms and future moms and and any way, shape, or form that you can call yourself a mom. Happy Mother's Day to you. And boy, today was supposed to be a really fun day for me. Uh, And it still was, but um, as you know, many of you know, with COVID-19 and all the uh, quarantine situations and all of the uh, stay-at-home orders and everything going on right now, a lot of us are missing out on some things that we were really looking forward to. Like uh, we've had some little birthday parades and uh, my daughter's, with my daughter's friends and, you know, just trying to celebrate the little moments that we're all missing out on. And today was supposed to be my graduation day. And I was really looking forward to it. It was uh, at University of the Pacific, and it's actually my alma mater where I did my undergrad work. But um, this was supposed to be my graduation with my doctorate. So um, it was supposed to be an extra special one. Really, it was going to be my last one, which is kind of a fun way to think of it. Um, But so we didn't get to do it in person, obviously, but we did have a nice uh, recorded commencement online, which was actually kind of fun to participate in. And um, they had some really nice words to say to us, you know, different speakers and things. So that was really nice. So hopefully uh, we'll get to do some kind of an actual in-person graduation ceremony in the near future. I'm not sure how near that will be, but hopefully we'll get to do that so we can get those photo ops and get to celebrate with some of the people we care about. But I did hear from some of my best friends from my cohort uh, who also graduated with me, and that was a lot of fun. So uh, happy graduation to all the graduates out there. Some of you have already graduated and some are upcoming. And uh, whether you're in preschool or middle school, high school, college, any way, shape, or form, any program, um, congratulations to you. So besides those kind of up and down feelings of you know, a lot of fun and excitement for graduation, but also missing out a little bit. I'm sorry to share that we didn't meet our goal of new subscribers to YouTube, but I greatly appreciate those of you who did subscribe. I really, truly appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed yet, of course you can anytime. If you log on to youtube.com and you search for Litcentric, you'll find our page. You'll see the logo there. It's really easy. Click on that and there's a subscribe button. And all that really means is that the next time you go to youtube.com, it will show you in a little dropdown how many videos have been added since the last time you visited. So it's not as though you're gonna get all these alerts or you know notifications all the time. It just means the next time you go, it'll say, hey, guess what? There's some new videos since last time you were here. So it's a nice way to keep up on what's new and you're really gonna wanna keep up on what's new with Litcentric because I keep adding videos all the time. Like last week, I added two videos that I made just for you to support your remote teaching work. 
Now, I'm seeing a lot of different resources online, people talking about different meetings and teaching and all this thing, but a lot of them are really geared towards adults or high school kids, which I'm sorry, but that is a lot easier (laughs) to handle adults online or older students online. Not to say that it doesn't have its challenges or drawbacks, because it certainly does. But when we're talking with our elementary school age kids and especially our primary age kids, we have to think a little bit differently about what we mean by a lesson, what we mean by practice, and how can we try to provide both uh, in a really meaningful way. Unfortunately, a lot of the practice opportunities out there um, really don't offer the same rigor or demand cognitively uh, and otherwise that some of our in-person teaching does. And so uh, there's different ways that we can improve on that though and give kids you know, some meaningful things to chew on. And so the two videos that I've added One is a simple one um, that's really more on the tech side to help you to learn how to use um, some Google tools and make things editable. Because you know how you have a great resource, you know, on your computer or even you have a hard copy of it and you want to get that out to students, but there's no way for you to do that and have them actually, you know, write kind of on the screen or on the on the sheet that you want to give them. So I made a video. It's called Make an Editable Reading Response Activity for Any Text. And in that video, I share with you the uh, response activities that I've created and actually how I did it. So I show you exactly how I took screenshots and uploaded it in a special way on Google Slides and then add the text boxes and show you how to send that out to all students. So they all have their own copy and they can actually pair those with any text and and really do some meaningful work, meaningful thinking, meaningful response, and hopefully some good writing. And not only is it a good activity for students to do, uh, it's also a great assessment for you. So if if students do that activity and they turn it into you, you're really going to get a window into the type of thinking that they're doing, how metacognitively they're operating, and also maybe some of the reading strategies that they need support with. So one activity like that can actually do a lot for students and a lot for you as a teacher. And so those are the types of things that I'm hoping that we are sending out to our students. Another video that I made for you is called Designing Remote Reading Lessons with ReadingAtoZ.com. Now, much like a lot of other uh, companies out there that have online resources, readingatoz.com is one of those sites that is allowing uh, free use for teachers for the end of the school year. And I encourage you to sign up there, even just to poke around and see if it's something you want to look at later on. But because it's free right now, there's all these great resources for you to actually assign books to your students for them to read online, either on a tablet or my daughter reads them off my laptop. Uh, She has an account set up through her teacher and it gives students access to a bunch of books at their reading level. And we know that most of our students have a lack of access to books in general, but if you're talking access to books at their reading level, I mean, how many homes out there actually have guided reading books in them? Like nobody except my house. (laughs) My daughter has what she needs. But, you know, unless you have a mom who's a teacher or a dad who's a teacher, and especially in those reading levels, you don't have access to those uh, resources. And so something like readingatoz.com or other similar sites Um, actually can provide that for our students. And since right now it's free, let's maximize the use of that. So I show you, it's not so much the mechanics of how to set those things up because it really isn't that hard to do in the system. 
but to actually design remote lessons that take advantage of those materials, not only the books, but readingatoz.com, like I said, among other websites like that, they often have great uh, lesson planning ideas in them. And of course, they're designed for in-person lessons. So I show you um, with an example of how I went through and looked at the resources provided there and pulled out specific ones that I thought would be great for students to respond to the text, to get them thinking, to support vocabulary, to support their uh, phonemic awareness, phonics activities, do some writing. Um, there's all sorts of things that we can do just based off one text that we assign students. And because that text is at their reading level, all of a sudden they can do things independently that they couldn't do before. And so I show you how to use uh, readingatoz.com as well as um, tools in the Google suite. Of course, everything's free and you can use, there's a template you can download in the Google, um, in Google Slides where uh, you can build off of that and use that as a model for other lessons that you might want to do using Reading A to Z or other resources like it. There's lots out there. And uh, it just gives you a sense of how you might assign something interesting for students to do. It gives you a way to actually use the formative assessment process, even though you're not right in front of students at the moment. And we know that's particularly challenging online because it's really hard to do. And it's even harder to do with the younger students. So this is definitely geared towards the K123 kind of crowd, just because of the content of the text I use. I use a level J text just to model that for you, but that doesn't mean you can't use this same model or a similar one and build off of it for older students or students at more advanced reading levels. So I encourage you to take a look at both of those videos on Letcentric's YouTube channel. Remember one is make an editable reading response activity for any text. And the other is designing remote reading lessons with readingatoz.com. You'll find both of those um, on the YouTube channel. And I hope you check those out. And don't forget to subscribe. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at making predictions. And we're going to use the text Bread and Jam for Francis. And it's by Russell Hoban, illustrated by Lillian Hoban. And Bread and Jam from Francis is a classic book. Uh, Frances is a little badger and she's about the cutest little badger you've ever seen. I don't know if you've ever seen a badger in real life. They are terrifying, <laughs> but uh, Frances is adorable and she's probably like a kindergartner, you know, that type of situation. And it's a classic book. It's been around since the mid sixties and there are several books about Frances out there, uh, but Bread and Jam for Frances is particularly good um, for a lot of reasons. One of them is that it really stays up to date with the times. And even though it's, gosh, you know, 50 years old at this point, um, the text actually, it stays up to date because they focus on Frances and kind of the timeless challenges that she experiences growing up. And that's really what makes it kind of so lovely. What I like to use it for, as I mentioned, is making predictions. And the reason this text is particularly good for making predictions is because the author aligns the events in the plot in a logical way and that really aids students' prediction skills um, and leads them to being correct most of the time if they're using a logical way of thinking. Also, the topic in this book is really relatable. Frances only wants to eat bread and jam, so she's a picky eater. And the topic is really relatable, so students actually can draw on their background knowledge really effectively, and that also aids in their prediction skills. So I love this book for those reasons, and it is a wonderful book to use to actually introduce predicting to students if you haven't talked about that before, or especially if you have some students maybe who are challenged by this, this is a great text to use for practice. 
So in this book, I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, like I said, Frances is a badger and she has her mother and her father and her little baby sister. And uh, Frances is not interested in what they're having at the table. She does this for every meal. And she says, well, I only want to eat bread and jam. And the reason is because I like it. I always know what I'm getting. And so that's what I want to eat. And she keeps kind of refusing to eat all the things that her parents are offering her, even though they're very enthusiastic about their food, especially her dad. And she goes off to school and realizes that, well, she's had bread and jam for dinner the night before. Then she has bread and jam for breakfast. Then her mom packs bread and jam in her lunch. And she gets home for a snack and her mom gives her bread and jam. And then it's dinner time, bread and jam. And of course, she quickly realizes that there's more to life than bread and jam, right? So she gets actually a little bit upset and doesn't understand why she doesn't get to have dinner like everybody else. And her parents wisely... Uh, feign uh, ignorance and act like uh, they don't know what she's talking about, right? Oh, I thought you liked bread and jam. So uh, kind of that reverse psychology. A lot of kids I don't think would actually pick up on that, which is kind of funny. And that's one of the reasons why the book is great for grownups too, because of the kind of buried storyline that's going on that adults will appreciate. Let me actually share with you uh, the first couple of pages of Bread and Jam for Francis. It was breakfast time and everyone was at the table. Father was eating his egg. Mother was eating her egg. Gloria was sitting in a high chair and eating her egg too. Francis was eating bread and jam. What a lovely egg, said father. If there is one thing I'm fond of for breakfast, it is a soft boiled egg. Yes, said mother, spooning up egg for the baby. It is just the thing to start the day off right. Ah, said Gloria and ate up her egg. Frances did not eat her egg. She sang a little song to it. She sang the song very softly. I do not like the way you slide. I do not like your soft inside. I do not like you lots of ways. And I could do for many days without eggs. So Frances is a pretty cute character, and I love the fact that she sings to herself. She does it many times throughout the book, and it's this lovely character trait that she has, which really makes her unique. And uh, you can sing those songs any way you want because they're just kind of little, um, little poems, you know? So it's kind of a lot of fun. I think the kids really find her quite endearing for that quality. So students will definitely relate to Bread and Jam for Frances, and... Uh, in just a moment, we're going to talk about the bridge chart and how we support students to build prediction skills. With Book Taco, not only can you get your students to read and read a lot, you can monitor their reading in a bunch of different ways. We all know that monitoring student progress is critical for furthering their development as readers. And BookTaco has so many tools that gather, rearrange, and slice the data so that any way you look at it, you're going to get valuable information. For example, you can track which students have taken certain quizzes in a book list, which will help you keep certain students on track and give others a nudge. Another report gives you an activity summary so you can see how many points students have earned, which can tell you about how productive students are during centers or independent reading time when they're working on BookTaco activities. You can differentiate how many points students should be collecting based on their different reading rates and determine reasonable goals for each student. 
A report like this gives you a sense of who might need support and who's moving too quickly through activities and maybe not putting forth their best effort. I like the reports that give you insight into the books students read during the year. You can sort them by title and see which books were most popular and even which genres were most popular. This data can help you steer students towards similar books they probably like and can help when you go to restock your classroom or school library with books kids really want to read. I could see making book recommendations to parents in a class newsletter when I pass out book orders. By far, my favorite report for monitoring student growth has got to be the report that shows all the book notes my students have completed. It shows the list of students, the book titles they read, and the notes they wrote about those books. I love to see student writing all at once like that because it makes it easier to spot trends in their work. I can see different times during the year when students needed more instruction to write better responses and compare that to the strategies I taught. Then I can see if my instruction had an impact on their work and where to support them next. How fun would it be to celebrate reading with your class at the end of the school year by sharing their class totals, like how many words they read collectively? Can you imagine how huge that number would be? Book Talker reports give you so much information that would be hard to track without their online tools. I counted at least 14 different reports you can generate in their system to track your students' progress, both whole class and individual readers. Log on to booktaco.com and look into their reporting tools. How might you use them to help your readers? That's booktaco.com. So with Bread and Jam for Francis, since we're working on making predictions, uh, we're going to do a couple different things here. Uh, normally, I like to print out my text-dependent questions that come with the Litcentric radio lessons, and those are available at litcentric.com. In the shop tab, you'll find a button there for Litcentric radio, and there's a growing bundle of lessons that match every single episode of the show. And in those lessons, I always have text-dependent questions match that particular text, and you can print them out on sticky notes and put them right in the book so that as you're doing your read-aloud, you can stop and have meaningful discussions with students about the text. Now, normally in a Let-Centric Radio lesson, I would actually advocate for doing the entire read-aloud and discussion and text-dependent questions together, and then afterwards, going ahead and focusing on the bridge chart and continuing to have further discussions to build the chart. But here, we're going to be doing some predicting during reading. So most of the questions that we're going to be asking during this lesson actually focus students on making a prediction uh, throughout the reading. And I'm actually going to use the bridge chart to help us do that. And so we're going to be building the bridge chart while we're reading the text together. So instead of the bridge chart after the fact, like most of the time, we're going to be actively using it, bouncing back and forth between the text, discussion with students, and populating the bridge chart. And like I said, we're going to use that bridge chart specifically to help students formulate predictions. Now before I actually work with them on the main bridge chart, I want to provide them with some sentence frames to help them understand and use the language needed to make predictions. Now this is great for your English learners, obviously, because um, in English we have standard ways of saying certain things, of course, like any language does, and uh, making predictions is actually based in academic language. And so we want to make sure that not only do students understand what the word predict means and how to actually do that and the type of thinking that is, but if they don't understand how to formulate that thinking into language to share it, then we haven't done our job. 
So there's uh, three sentence frames that I find particularly helpful for students when they're learning about predicting and to help them actually make some predictions. One of them is, I think blank might blank. Okay. Another one is, I wonder if blank could blank. Finally, the last one says, maybe blank will blank. So these are three, of course, very different ones. The first starting with I think, I wonder, and then maybe. So all of those are conditional types of language. And then might, could, and will are also conditional types of language. And we know that with making predictions, we're not always going to be correct. And that's something students really need to understand is that when you make a prediction, you're using the best information that you have in front of you, the best evidence combined with your best thinking based on your background knowledge. And when you put those together, you come up with a thought about what you think is going to happen next. And sometimes that's gonna be correct and sometimes it won't be. And so it's important that they understand those conditional language frames there that they're going to be using. And when you're working with students to build the bridge chart, demand that they use those types of frames. Okay? Even if they're not an English learner, all of our students are academic English learners because that's the language of school and the language of literacy. And so uh, if they learn how to use sentence frames like these, eventually we can remove these frames because students will have adopted this type of language into their own you know, oral language and they won't need that support anymore. So when students start developing that, don't keep referring them to the sentence frames if they're already using something similar or you know, using a sentence or two that's helping them to make prediction language, then they don't need that, that support anymore. And that's always the goal. We want those supports there when they need them, and we want to remove them when they don't. So to build this bridge chart, we're going to, uh, it's a landscape chart, so it's, you know, wider left to right than top to bottom. And there are four columns, and we're going to be making four predictions and really stopping at four different points in the text to make those predictions. So here, um, the first column is called a question because that, again, I'm going to pose a question through my text pendant question sticky notes, and that's what's going to be prompting our um, thinking about and predicting. So that first column's question. The second column is the prediction. So I ask the question, we write a prediction. The third column is confirm or reject because sometimes we're going to confirm the prediction because it actually took place and we have evidence that you know we were correct. And other times we're going to reject it. We weren't correct and we still want to talk about the evidence of why we weren't correct. And finally, the last column is explain with evidence. Okay, so that of course goes right with confirm or reject. Now there's two ways you can use this chart. One of them is to work through the first three columns with students as you read the text and leave the explain with evidence part for later. And one of the reasons you might do that is because maybe that's a little bit too much to ask of students, especially if this is their very first time predicting, or maybe if you're using this in English language development, this is their first time handling that type of academic language. You may want to pause and just have students um, really use the act of predicting that thinking process and help support the language use and not worry so much about the explanation of evidence, at least on that first round. Um, you also may not have enough time to do that piece uh, because we really want to make sure that students are actively predicting during the reading process and getting the feedback they need in order to confirm or reject. So if that means that you need to table the explain the evidence piece maybe till the next day, 
then do that because we want to make sure that the predicting part is front and center. We can always go back and revisit the next day, talk about the question, talk about our prediction, whether we confirmed or rejected, and then go back into the text and locate the evidence that's going to help us explain why we confirmed or why we rejected. So here the first question, an example uh, from the text would be, um, why didn't Francis eat her egg? So in the very first page, it says all, you know, the rest of the family's eating their egg and Francis didn't eat her egg. So why didn't she eat it? And there isn't enough evidence here really uh, for students to gather um, as to exactly why she didn't eat it, but we can make some inferences because Everyone else is eating it except her so that we can use our background knowledge and think, well, maybe she's the only one who doesn't like them. Maybe she's not so hungry. Maybe she's tired of eggs. Right? There's lots of things in students' background around food that they can use to help answer that prediction and then confirm or reject it. So just because there isn't a lot of text evidence leading up to that point because it's page one doesn't mean that we can't ask a prediction. We can ask students to predict just based on the cover or the title of a book, right? There's lots of ways we can predict. They're just, we hope that our predictions get better and better and more accurate um, as we read because all that information and evidence that came beforehand kind of compounds and influences the next prediction that you make. Because we want students to know that predictions are not guesses not in the sense of like wild guesses. They are evidence-based conclusions that you're drawing um, from the evidence in front of you. And that's what's helping you try to predict what comes next. So we want it to really be really grounded and very thoughtful. So in the question column, I asked the first question, why didn't Frances eat her egg? And I'll definitely have students talk with one another and encourage them to use the sentence frames and rehearse those if needed and really be listening for students to use those. Then as I call on students or groups of students to share out, again, I'm going to require them to use those sentence frames in their speech and we'll come up with one or two predictions. We're gonna go ahead and write them on the chart real quickly. And then we're gonna continue reading. And as we read on the next page, if the prediction can be confirmed or rejected, really at any point when we can do that, we're gonna pause and we're gonna confirm or reject on the chart. And you can just do something quick like, you know, a plus sign in green or a minus sign in red or a thumbs up or a thumbs down or a happy face or a sad face, whatever. Just do something really quick with it. Because remember, we wanna keep the pace of the story going, the momentum of the story so we can carry the information from the pages we've read carry that forward in throughout the rest of the text and that will help us get better and better predicting. Uh, we go to the next question. Will Francis feel the same way about other foods? So we ask, uh, students discuss, they make their prediction. Again, I'm requiring them to use those sentence frames or something similar. And we continue to read and immediately pause and confirm or reject. Okay, so we do that four different times and that actually carries us throughout the whole text. Uh, at the end, either in this moment or again the next day, we can revisit the chart, revisit the text, and then have students explain with evidence why they confirmed or rejected. This is a really important part of the exercise because and it's not good enough to just say, yes, we were right, no, we were wrong. We need to understand exactly why, because that's more the metacognitive side of things, right? We need students to be thinking and behaving this way when we do texts like this that are highly supported by the teacher and by their peers so that eventually we can gradually release that responsibility and when students are reading texts on their own they can continue to operate with this thinking process of predicting and can do it successfully.
Okay, so this experience with the teacher acts as a scaffolded process for students and the chart and their peers and the sentence frames and the text itself act as the supports to help students make better predictions. So the writing task I would ask students to do is actually to write a prediction again about Francis. And this is kind of going forward because the text very much feels like Francis now has this new way of operating, this new viewpoint around food. And so we can make some predictions around that. Now these won't be confirmed or rejected because the story is already concluded, but it still gives students a chance to apply those predicting skills and those predictions better be spot on at this point because they have the entire text behind them, all of that evidence, all of the discussion and understandings that were shared, and they also have some good language they can use in those sentence frames and from that chart to help them write a really strong prediction. So we want those predictions to get better over time, even within this lesson, but even so, you know, better every time they read another book. So I hope you'll check out Bread and Jam for Francis. A lot of you might already have it on your bookshelf, and I bet your school library has it too. And it is a great book to read to your students even remotely right now, because like I said, every kid can relate with Francis because all of us have had to eat something we didn't want to eat or you know fall back on a favorite kind of food. And uh, it's a really a timeless topic and predicting is a lot of fun. You can definitely do this lesson in, you know, like a Google meet, a zoom call, something like that. You could even piece this out where you read part of it on video um, one day and students pause and complete part of the bridge chart. And they do it um, either by chatting with a group online or um, just reading on their own, you know, with the video support and writing their answers or their predictions. And then the next day you can read and they confirm or reject. So you slow down the process of the lesson. And of course there's less discussion support, but uh, this is something students really can prove to you that they can do on their own. Um, you just have to get a little creative with some of the technology depending on the age of your students, but I bet you can figure that out. And don't forget, on Letcentric's YouTube channel, I have some videos in there for you specifically around remote learning. And uh, there's ideas in there that I know you can carry forward with lessons you're already doing to improve those. And also with Litcentric radio lessons, there's lots of ways that things can be tweaked a little bit, sped up or slowed down, um, altered in some way that actually can still support students in the types of thinking and the practice that we want them doing high quality, meaningful tasks. Right, so visit Lecentric's YouTube channel. Please, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Have a great day at school.